This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys from Eric Carlson and their Keeper Pools. I say it so fast because it's fun, but I should probably consider the fact that there might be new listeners that have no idea what I just said, but I'm just going to keep going. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the course, the authority, the ad drop ace, the IPP MVP. Brightcom. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another uh, outstanding, obviously. It's going to be episode of Keeping Carlson. Funny that you mentioned the speed at the start, Elon. I know a lot of people who, you know, typically listen to podcasts at two times the speed. And we've gotten feedback that ours is like three times the speed and even without actually modifying the speed at all. So so if it was too fast for you, you might just want to set the speed for like 0.75 right now. And that way you'll be able to catch the rest of the show without having to rewind. <laughs> okay, yeah, or just listen a couple of times. You'll, you'll probably get the gist. So this is an emergency episode of Keeping Carlson. This wasn't a regularly scheduled episode, but I just messaged Brian. I was like, Brian, we got to do this because there's too many trades happening and I don't want to get behind. We just released our episode with Dmitry Filipovich last week. And that was a lot of fun. And normally we've been doing every two weeks over the summer, but we're back right now to talk about all these crazy trades. Uh, before we get into that, let's mention a couple things. First of all, we are presented by DauberHockey.com, top fantasy hockey website out there. They're breaking down all of the trades and the signings. And as UFA Day, July 1st is coming, you know, you're definitely going to want to be checking out all of their insights there. Also the draft, like everything is there on DauberHockey.com. So they're churning out articles like nobody's business. And Brian, let's also mention... Yeah, so last week we released that episode with Dmitry Filipovich where we recapped our discussion at the start of the year about the Western Conference and you and I just recorded an episode with him for the PDO cast about the Eastern Conference and he's apparently going to drop that around Wednesday. So you could either just subscribe to the PDO cast or check out keepingcarlson.com slash PDO to get that episode. We'll link that once it comes out. But with that, Brian, I've set the table. Are you ready to talk some trades? So ready. The trade winds are blowing, Elon. It's been a very exciting couple of weeks. During the playoffs, you know, first of all, playoffs are exciting. They're so fun and you're watching. But then as teams get eliminated, you care less and less unless you really care about the St. Louis Blues or the Boston Bruins. And then, you know, then nothing happens. And then all of a sudden now everything is happening and I've got my fantasy juices flowing. Like I really wanted to draft today. And so let's break down everything that happened that got me so excited. And of course, we need to start 
in New Jersey. What a day they had yesterday where they not only drafted Jack Hughes, but then they made a monster trade. They acquired P.K. Subban from the Nashville Predators for Steven Santini, uh, Jeremy Davies, a second round pick in the 2019 draft, a second round pick in the 2020 draft. So not even such a huge price to pay for a former Norris Trophy winning defenseman. But P.K. Subban uh, hasn't been as good lately. So I guess that's what we're going to have to break down. It makes sense why his cost was low if you just want to go by, oh, well, his career is going down a little bit. His point totals have been going down. So it makes sense that he's not worth as much as he once was. Like back in the day, his best season was in 2012-13. He put up 38 points in 42 games for a monster 74 point pace with the Habs. That was the lockout season. His actual career high is 60 points in 82 games, which he did a couple years after that, 2014-15. Then anyways, he got shipped to Nashville. He had 50 points in his first season there, then 59 points a couple seasons ago, but then only 40 point pace last season, even less because he missed some time with injury, but his total pace if he would have played 82 games was 40 points, which is really not great for someone like P.K. Subban, who we used to talk about back when, Brian, we started this podcast, we would talk about, like, is Eric Carlson or P.K. Subban or, like, Chris Letang the top defenseman to own in fantasy for offensive production and now we're talking about how pk suban just put up a 40 point pace so like what happened there like was it mainly just a lack of power play time obviously he had to share that time with roman yosi or does it has to do with like he's 30 years old maybe he's not like as good as he used to be of course now he goes to new jersey where we expect him to be the top power play d-man because who else would it be and actually i'll get to a name in a second but you know playing with some exciting new players including jack hughes and hopefully a healthy taylor hall so i'm really excited to hear what do you think about pk suban is this going to be the start of a huge resurgence for him or is he now closer to the 40 maybe 45 up like ceiling 50 point guy that he's shown over the past season nah pk subin is in the best possible place right now which is really anywhere it's not specifically new jersey but it's anywhere where he is the guy and there are at least two or three quality pieces for him to play with on the top power play and that's exactly what he's found in new jersey Forget about having to take a flyer on someone like Damien Severson or Will Butcher or even Andy Green to try and get a power play point out of a New Jersey Devils defenseman. P.K. Subban is there and he is going to be fantastic in the role. I have every bit of faith that P.K. Subban can return to the 55-60 point range that he was often in in Montreal uh, in his glory days. Yes, he's 30 years old, but look, he's going to get a rollback that he straight up just hasn't had since his Montreal days in Nashville at five on five. Subban was scoring more goals, but getting fewer assists. And I just want to point out that I don't necessarily know that that's his fault, um, that he wasn't getting assists. And that was keeping his point totals low. Uh, Subban had seen a couple pretty sad years recently in on ice goals for per 60 minutes. So there was essentially when I'm saying that I'm saying there was less scoring for Subban to assist on. And also, of course, he was playing less minutes with which he can use to get an assist. He's playing about one fewer minute of five on five in Nashville than he was in Montreal by the end of his time as a predator. Uh, but of course the real hurt for Subban's totals uh, were on the power play in Nashville. First, Like he was never the guy in Nashville the way he was in Montreal, right? He averaged two and a half power play minutes per game last season as a predator compared to close to four minutes a game when he was a Montreal Canadian. Uh, And the other reason why Subban's power play production faltered as a predator was because the power play didn't run through him while he was on the ice the way it did in Montreal. The numbers show that Subban was less involved in putting pucks on net. Though to be honest, it didn't 
really slow him down because his point rates, uh, like I'm actually going back and forth here because I'm saying I didn't, he didn't take as many shots uh, quarterbacking the power play. Like his slapper is the big thing, right? And he was doing that just nonstop when he was quarterbacking the Habs power play, quarterbacking the Preds power play. He had a different role, which he still found success with like his points per 60 rates in Nashville on the power play were better than in Montreal. But of course, having less time to play in Nashville on the whole worked against PK Subban. Uh, So needless to say, I'm very excited for him to have all the time in the world to work with. Remember when he was with the Habs uh, in his last two seasons in Montreal, Subban averaged 26 minutes of ice per game, uh, 24 minutes in his next two seasons in Nashville and not even 23 minutes in Subban's most recent season as a predator. So I am really pumped for PK Subban to be in a new place on a team that just wants to use him. This is your role, PK. Go just slap away on the power play. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I love PK Subban. I think this is great for the New Jersey Devils. I do wonder, though, like, I'm curious, like, how high do you think he's going to go in terms of points? Because I do worry that maybe he's going to be a little overrated at this point. Because every, everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And everyone's going to be thinking, okay, now he's going to be on the top power play. No competition. Playing with Taylor Hall. Playing with Jack Hughes. Palmieri. His share, like, you know, great players to play with. It looks like everything is so great, but at the same time, we got a tweet right after the trade asking like if the if this person was drafting in a cap dynasty league, and he was asking if he should take Eric Carlson or PK Subban. And I know Eric Carlson makes a lot more money, but it just made me think, I don't know, like maybe he's going to be a little overrated now, and people are going to go too nuts for him. He still is thirty years old, and he did only have forty points last season. So you know, I expect him to improve from last season for sure, and maybe even get to like 55, 60. But I would like, are you thinking he's going to get back to like the seventy-four point pace that he was putting up in Montreal? First off, last season, his pace was 40 points. He only had 31 in 63 games. Uh, two seasons ago, the Elon uh, Subban had 59 points. So yeah. but that was with seasons- a Nashville team that was like so good. Like, is New Jersey as good? I don't know that New Jersey is as good, but they have Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri, uh, Nico Heeshier, uh, Jack Hughes coming in who might be able to contribute. And then you've got some decent depth in Miles Wood and Blake Coleman, Subban has what he needs to produce in New Jersey. I think he's most often going to be on the ice with scorers. So it doesn't really matter what okay. the rest of the team looks like. So give me a number. Just so I just want to get a sense of what 55 you're talking about. is where I'm starting with Subban. I have, I have big dreams for him next year. His career high. And this is just total, right? Not pace with 60 points back in 14, 15. Uh, the next season he had 51 points in 68 games, which I guess would have put him close to 60 points, but not quite as high as pace was back as a 23 year old uh, in the lockout shortened seasons. We never really got to see if he could keep it up over a full season. Yeah. But I think Subban can return to close to the peaks of his career with at least 55 points next season. Okay. I don't really speak Brian or I'm trying to learn when you say you're starting at 55. What's your like, we're going to do an almanac. Obviously you don't have to stick with what you're going to say what do you think your number is going to be are you going to put 55 because to me that seems reasonable if you're going to say like 65 then i start to wonder if maybe you're uh, going a bit high i'm gonna go 58.5 okay yeah okay i'm good with that then i agree with you because you know you say like i'm i say 55 and then you say like how amazing it is it? and it almost to me seems like you're saying two different things because 55 seems like reasonable to me but nothing like outlandish you know like a lot of defensemen have been getting higher point paces than 55 over these past couple of seasons so like that's nothing too special that's what you'd expect from a top what? power play defenseman How many many defensemen last year? I'm going to look this up while I ask the question. How many defensemen do you think last year scored more than 55 points? I mean, I would guess maybe like 
10, 8 to 10. Like Gustafsson had 60. Like Jacob uh, Truba only had 50, right? Thomas Shabbat, I feel like, had 55. Like there were a lot of names. And then like obviously the obvious guys like John Carlson and Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. And I don't know. So tell me the final number. The number of defensemen with more than 55 points last year, there were 10 of them. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's not that special. Are you what? There are 10 guys who have 55 points or more, and you don't think that's special? I guess I think we're agreeing, and I don't even know what we're arguing about now. Like, I just the way you're talking about PK Subban, it sounds like you're saying he's going to be like a top fantasy defensive, but now it sounds like you're more saying you think he's going to be just shy of the top 10. So that's what you're thinking, like 55 point guy. Okay, we're on the same page. Let's talk about another guy who I'd be curious to know if you'd have higher or lower than Subban, and that's Roman Yosi, who all of a sudden no longer has to fight PK for that PP time in Nashville. Just for the record, yeah. in 2017 18, I'm interrupting you completely. There were 12 guys who had 55 points or more. I don't know if that supports your point or mine. I mean, it's just making it seem less special. So <laughs> makes me like you said, Subban, 55 points. This guy's amazing. He's so good. He did this. He did this. So I'm going to say 55 points in the way like the number doesn't match the enthusiasm, I guess, because to me, 55 points. I think it's like, yeah, it's good. So I, I think relative to Subban, to you asking me, is Subban like he had a 40 point pace last season? It's very reasonably enthusiastic. <laughs> It, okay. Relative to PK Subban, it's a very enthusiastic projection. Yeah, he used but to relative be, to league. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and b- back when he's on the Habs, he was getting 60 plus every single year, and even had approached 75. Okay. But okay, Not, was he though? Like pace, he was approaching 75 point pace. Are you sure about season. that? I said that at the start, Brian. Oh man, the people I hope are enjoying this mini episode that, that's going a bit <laughs> off the rails. He had 38 points in 42 games in 2012-13 for a 74 point pace. Yes. Yeah, but so I'm, I referenced that, but outside of that, he's paced for 62, yeah. 60, and those exactly. are his top three paces. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh my no, God. Well, okay, but so so we're on the same page. I don't know the way you put it. It sounded like he had like all these huge seasons where it's like, yes, Pika Subban, 60 point guy. Yeah, but you said 55. <laughs> okay, can we move on? <laughs> Roman Yosi. So. He also, before P.K. Subban was in the picture, he was fighting with Shea Weber for top power up at times. So this is going to be our first time seeing Roman Yosi be the guy, I would think, in Nashville. Like, maybe you could throw out a couple of names of Ryan Ellis, but I think Roman Yosi is probably the guy. And to be fair, this guy, he's still been getting a lot of power play time, right? He had 58.3% of power play time, like, three seasons ago, then 53, then 56 this past season. So he's had a lot of time, and he had 56 points last season. It's already higher than your uh, P.K. Subban projection. Uh, But now I feel like maybe Yosi could be better. Also, that Nashville power play from last year, if I recall, wasn't very good. I'd hope it could be better. So yeah, do you expect Roman Yosi to be the same, better, or worse moving forward with P.K. Subban out of the picture? I don't think he'll be a whole lot better, but I definitely, like, it's nice to know that Subban isn't there nipping at his heels, although Ryan Ellis is, and I think that's something we need to keep an eye on. Um, Yosi, when Subban came to town, took a bit of a dip in his five-on-five ice time, but never really saw... uh, like a similar dip on the power play. He's been a three minute, uh, three minute per game power play guy for essentially every year of his career in Nashville, except for his rookie season. Uh, so I, I really don't think this changes the outlook on Roman Yosi's power play production or even strength production. I, I, I really am thinking that we'll just again, see a pretty steady similar season as in past years. Um, that we've seen from Roman Yosi. Wow. Okay. I'm actually really excited for him. I I would be happy to project him for like 60 points, maybe 65. Well, so I, why? 
I just think that now he's going to have more of a role. I feel like we've never seen Roman Yosi not on a team without Subban or Weber. And now I feel like Roman Yosi, they really are going to have to lean on him. I just like, I think he's a really good player. And I'm just curious to see what's going to happen. I mean, I could see that even working against him. Yeah. Maybe like defensively. So, well, uh, again, this is like hot takes right after the trade. We're just throwing numbers out there. We're going to record our fantasy hockey almanac, audio almanac in a couple of months where we'll really sit down and break this down and try to come up with more, I guess, researched point projections. But my gut right now tells me to have like Yozy around like maybe 63, 62 and Subban maybe like 58. That's that's where I kind of see him. Wow. Okay. So definitely more than PK Subban. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I, I might want to, uh, we'll see come Almanac time. I might want to make a bet on that. Yeah, okay. Well, that'll be fun. Uh, and it'll be fun to win. So then uh, back to New Jersey, like, looks like the one thing we could agree on for sure, and we've pretty much been agreeing, by the way, this whole time. We're talking, we're nitpicking five points here and there. Uh, I think we agree they're going to be a better team. Like, first of all, they were going to be a better team anyways if they just have, like, a healthy Taylor Hall. Like, this team made the playoffs a couple seasons ago like led on the back of Taylor Hall. And then last year it all fell apart after Hall got injured. And next year, not only do they have Hall, but now they have Subban. And that's great for the team. And that's also potentially really great for their starting goalie. If we could just figure out who it will be. If we recall at the end of last season, like there was Keith Kincaid at the start and Schneider and Schneider was bad and Keith Kincaid was getting starts. But then Kincaid was like so bad as well. And then this guy, Mackenzie Blackwood, came in and really like stole the show. He was putting up really great numbers. He ended up with a 918 save percentage in 23 games as a 22 year old. You know, you compare that to Corey Schneider who hasn't been above a 910 save percentage since 2015, 16. He only played 26 games last season as a 32 year old. So I've kind of lost faith in Corey Schneider. Like maybe he could be a good backup, but I don't think he's going to be a starting goalie who could play a lot of games. So I think unless New Jersey goes and gets a goalie, all of a sudden we could be seeing Mackenzie Blackwood being the starting goalie on a playoff contending team. And that could be huge for his fantasy value really interesting that over the last let's see here six weeks of the season blackwood and schneider literally traded starts every single every single game it went schneider blackwood schneider blackwood schneider blackwood neither guy was injured both guys could play twice in a row they just never did and it's almost i i'm not a hundred percent sure what the purpose is because it didn't seem to matter also whether they played well or not. They just knew that they were alternating games. Um, but Blackwood looked pretty good in his rookie season. He was able to uh, put up a save percentage that was slightly above his expected save percentage, which is what we look for when we're trying to measure a goalie's performance. Um, and on the penalty kill, he was actually really strong, which leads me uh, to believe that the save percentage we saw from him, which was a 918 uh, save percentage on the season was probably a touch high. Um, he really outperformed his expected penalty kill save percentage, and generally that's not a sustainable thing. Uh, so we could expect that to, is, that maybe he's not a 918 goalie last year if those numbers had regressed, but they didn't. Um, going into next year, we're waiting to see uh, exactly if he takes a step forward. There's, of course, the whole school of thought that goalies don't improve. So whereas Blackwood in a year with a normal uh, penalty killing save percentage would be a 9-14 goalie. That's what we can expect next year, which would still be a great upgrade for what the Devils had in net before he came along when they were just trying to figure out which of Kincaid or Schneider they could rely on. And they found out that they probably can't rely on either. I think Mackenzie Blackwood presents some really sneaky fantasy value next year. Of course, there's still like holes on that New Jersey blue line. Subban is just one guy. Uh, don't forget they brought in Semi Vatnin, who helped uh, last season, who helps sort of shore things up on the blue line too for any goalie. If he's um, healthy. 
if he's healthy, exactly. Uh, but there's still holes. So we'll see just how well and how deep, how well, if this New Jersey team is deep enough to protect their goalie well, if they are, then Mackenzie Blackwood could be a good later round pick. We're going to be seeing that about a lot of goalies come September though, right? Because there's a lot of guys who so many question marks remain and the upside is there. Mackenzie Blackwood is one of them. Yeah, just a name to keep in mind. We're not saying to reach for him in drafts, but if he falls, he could end up giving you good value. Also, Brian, what is the school of thought that says 22-year-old rookies who play 23 games don't improve? I feel like that's, that can't that's be. That's not the school of thought I quoted. I said goalies don't improve is a school of thought, no matter, regardless of their age. And, and I've quoted this before in talking about guys like Cam Talbot and Martin Jones when we're looking at 28-year-old guys having career seasons and trying to decide, is this something that's sustainable? Like, are we going to see them repeat this now that they're 28 years old and they found another gear to their game? And maybe there's just a later uh, development curve uh, for goalies. And uh, there is a school of thought. I'm not sure how popular, like, I... I I don't like it. it. Darcy Kemper uh, has been going against it these past few seasons. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway... Darcy Kemper has never played for a team that protected him as well as the Coyotes did. Fair, I think that fair. that's a big part of it. Okay, so we'll have lots of debates about goalies. I do think we could both agree that probably that school of thought doesn't apply to Mackenzie Blackwood's 23-game rookie season. <laughs> like, we don't know who he is yet. So No, I, I agree. We can't judge any goalie on a 23-game sample. It's not to say he's going to get better or worse. It's just that we haven't seen his true talent. If I really wanted to be a stickler about the goalies don't improve thing. Okay, fair. We don't know yet, but he has potential. Okay, let's go to the next trade that I wanted to talk about. Uh, this was about a week ago. New York Rangers acquired defenseman Jacob Truba from the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for Neil Pionk and a first-round pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, I didn't look up who they took, but I don't really care. I don't really even want to talk about Neil Pionk. I just want to talk about Jacob Truba. Brian, you know how much I love Truba. I've been saying forever that I feel like he has a lot of offensive potential if he only gets a shot on the top power play. And just like P.K. Subban, I feel like now he's going to get it, unless you're going to tell me you're holding out hope for Kevin Chattenkirk, even though the Rangers are saying they might even buy him out, or we'll see what happens. But I feel like Jacob Truba is going into the Rangers as the guy we're going to expect to be the top power play defenseman guys gonna play big minutes and hey even not having that role for all of last season truba still had a career year last year with 50 points in 82 games he obviously benefited from getting some top power play time with bufflin and morrissey injured at different times still like only 40 percent of the jets power play time overall now we got truba on the rangers first of all do you concur that he is the for sure top power play guy going into the year and uh as a 25 year old I, I know you're going to disagree, but I, tell, call me crazy, but I feel like I might rather have him than P.K. Subban, especially like in a keeper league. I feel like the ceiling is super high for Jacob Trouble. We haven't seen what he can do when he's the guy. I think this Rangers team is so exciting. Like they just got Kako, obviously. Uh, Zibanejad had that huge breakup. They have all these other young guys coming up. Like I feel like this Rangers team is going to be huge. And I feel like Jacob Truba being the main defenseman at 25 years old, coming off 50-point season, I could see him like getting up to 60, 65 next season easy. Well, first off, you just spoiled a little bit of the uh, PDO cast episode that we just recorded with Dimitri, where I, I, I stated the, my, my intention to begin a free Shattenkirk campaign because I feel like the Rangers, like another team could use Shattenkirk better than the Rangers have. Um, but I think it, at least we know, I, I think it's clear that the Rangers have signaled their intent to not use Kevin Shattenkirk as their top power play quarterback. And I have to think that they traded Pionk away who, who usurped Shattenkirk on the top power play for Truba, who can do the same thing. So yeah, I'm counting on him to be the power play quarterback in uh, New York next season. I've always been 
a little shy, as you know very well, to anoint Jacob Truba as like a brilliant offensive player. I've usually said, you know, his role is to play a really steady defensive game and pick up 35, 40 points along the way because he's great at breaking out of the zone, helping create controlled entries. And that was Jacob Truba's bread and butter. My tune began to change a little bit last season when we did see him get significant time on the top power play for him to really strut his offensive stuff. And uh, he looked real good on that top unit uh, in Winnipeg. That that opportunity really looked good on him. In fact, uh, he played almost 170 minutes uh, of power play time last season, not all of it on the top unit, but he was the fifth ranked NHL blue liner in total points per 60 on the power play behind Yandel, Krug, Carlson, Hedman, ahead of Klingberg, Burns, John Carlson. Of course, if I just say Carlson, we know which Carlson I'm talking about, right? Anyway, Jacob Chiruba emerged or seemed to emerge as an elite power play presence last season. And that's when I decided that, ah, Truba, this like this offense vacuum can be unleashed and it'd be really exciting to see it happen for a long time. Questions do remain though, because he did uh, finish so uh, in such good standing in point scoring for defensemen on the power play, thanks to an IPP that was 70%, which is unsustainable. This is all on the power play. An 11% power play shooting percentage, also uh, something that may or may not be sustainable. But his five on five numbers last year also looked pretty good. Um, he, he looked. He looks like a legit offensive presence. And I know what this is. This is something that you've been telling me for a long time, Elon. But at the same time, we've never really seen him uh, be unleashed that way. And last season we did. Uh, so I'm very excited for him to quarterback a top power play. I don't know. I mean, it depends on who ends up as the personnel on that top unit for the Rangers. I don't know that I have him getting as high as Subban in New Jersey. But if I'm looking at a keeper context, I'm definitely... I'm definitely thinking about it. It depends on how bought in you are that uh, he will be the undisputed power play quarterback in New York for years to come. Because if he isn't, uh, I'd rather have Subban. But if he is, then then I'll take Truba. I mean, that's uh, no brainer for sure. It goes without saying. But so what I'm trying to say is that there's still reason to wonder about whether he truly can be a a high end power play quarterback. But again, Neil Pionk wasn't the most high end guy either. And uh, the Rangers used him over Shattenkirk. So why wouldn't they do the same with Truba? Yeah, forget about Shattenkirk, I think. Uh, maybe maybe you'll prove me wrong. Uh, Alex in the chat room is pointing out that there might be competition for Truba in like Brady Shea or this Fox coming up. So we'll have to see. Uh, I should also I don't point- think Brady Shea poses a threat. Adam, Adam Fox, maybe, but I think he's more of a secondary guy unless they want to save Truba for a second unit and they don't think it's a big deal. But yeah. who saves their best offensive defenseman for a second unit? It's just not the way that Truba has made his name in the NHL. Yeah, well, I think it's a whole... I think he needed to be freed from that Jets organization that didn't want to use him offensively as much as they could have. So it'll be a really exciting season. I should also point out Alex here, who gives us lots of great content in our Facebook group as well. He did point out that Ty Smith could challenge P.K. Subban, maybe not next year, but eventually on the New Jersey blue line. This is a 19-year-old. He was the 17th overall pick in 2018. 69 points in 57 games with Spokane of the WHL last season. So he's a guy... It's not as if Subban just has this role and there's no one to compete with him. Uh, I'd say he... And Truba maybe have similar competition at this point. That's how Alex, I Alex in the chat with the very hot take that Smith is a better threat to the power play in New Jersey than anyone else is to Truba uh, for the Rangers. And I, I, I just like Smith. Great. Um, 
I mean, be, let's I'm be glad. honest, Brian. I'm, we don't I'm, know much about prospects. Like, we, how many games no. have you seen of Ty Smith? We don't know. None. I've never seen Ty Smith play. I'd barely heard his name before this point came up about, you know, maybe he can be the top power play quarter. I would I, I would imagine Will Butcher still has a better chance at, at pushing Subban. Maybe Ty Smith has some offense vacuum in. That's great. But P.K. Subban is not in New Jersey to play on the second power play. Not next season, but you never know. If, like Maybe it doesn't go well. Like, it's not a guarantee that, like, I know the way everyone's talking about it, which is reasonable, it's reasonable to expect it, all the logic points to it happening, but it is possible that he struggles or that that power play struggles and they make some changes. Maybe not next year, maybe in the future, as Subban is 30, so he'll be 31, 32, as Ty Smith becomes 19, 20, 21. So, you know, not a guarantee. So, next, uh, let's go to the Vancouver Canucks acquiring JT Miller from the Tampa Bay Lightning for Merrick Mazanik, who I didn't even realize was on the Lightning. Last, th- last time I remembered he was on, where was he, like Nashville? Yeah, he I was there know. for a while. I think he was also in New York for a short yeah, who cares? Well. It basically, they got JT Miller for a pick, right? It's a, a, a conditional first-round pick in 2020 uh, or something. I, I don't remember all the details of that. The main thing is JT Miller. For fantasy purposes, uh, JT Miller is now a Vancouver Canuck. And I know a lot of people are saying the Canucks like overpaid for him in terms of what they gave the Lightning. And you know that's a discussion maybe for another day because you know the Tam- Tampa was kind of cash-strapped. They need to sign... Uh, Brady po- Braden Point, so you know you could make the argument that Tampa didn't have that much leverage, so they shouldn't have been able to get so much. Okay, so I just want to put that aside, unless you want to talk about the trade. I just want to talk about JT Miller as a fantasy asset because I think it was on our episode last week with Dimitri. We were talking about who's going to be that third wheel to play with Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson. Uh, now it could be JT Miller, right? And if that's the case. That could be huge for this guy's fantasy value because we were just talking about how we're so excited about Elias Peterson. He's going to be like over a point per game and like Brock Besser is great. And like if he could play on that line on the top power play, he could be huge. Of course, all that said, I remember having this conversation about Louis Erickson going to the Canucks and being like, oh, this guy's going to play with the Sedins and be huge. And they ended up toiling in like the middle six and still does to this day. Uh, So that could happen with JT Miller. But I think there is reason for us to be excited. Just like we were excited about JT Miller, by the way, going into last season, potentially playing with like Kucherov and Stan on Tampa and that kind of worked out kind of didn't in the end he had like 47 points in 75 games 51 point pace he was fine that's where I'd expect him to land that's probably what I'll project him for next year but I think it's a real like ceiling floor situation depending on where he plays but he seems like a decent player right yeah he's a decent player I think he's talented I think he's a good part of a team's top six the really weird thing about JT Miller last season is that he actually fared better like at the start of the year, he played a little with Nikita Kucherov, and that's what we were really excited about. We're like, oh, yeah, he could be a great third piece uh, playing alongside Kucherov. He actually played worse in the limited time that he did play with Kucherov uh, than he did when he played without Kucherov, or at least uh, in terms of goals being scored for his team while he's on the ice. There were more more goals. He saw more goals scored per 60 minutes when playing without Kucherov than with, which is a very weird effect. Um, it was a weird season overall. For JT Miller, he produced at higher rates with guys like Matthew Joseph, Eric Cernak, Slater Cuckoo, Cedric Paquette. And he was also very, very off and on. JT Miller had four very quiet months beginning in November uh, that followed a hot start and preceded a hot finish in the home stretch. But if you look at his season as a whole, you'll see that half of Miller's points came in a third of his games. And those are the bookends of the season. So if you're like, oh, you you know, better rush to pick up Miller. um, He really left you high and dry while he was on your team. And then uh, you probably dropped him. And then he might've won the the season or the playoffs for your opponent. It was a very frustrating season for anybody who did dabble in JT Miller ownership. 
I'm hoping that it is a more stable situation in Vancouver, but really in Vancouver, you're playing with Besser and Pedersen or you're in trouble. Like you're, you could be playing with Bo Horvat, which would still be a good spot. And I think Miller could produce from there, but it's not where he'd ideally land. Yeah, well, the nice thing is going into next season, you're going to be able to get JT Miller a lot later in your drafts than you would have going into last season. Because if you recall, Miller did end the previous season really well on Tampa Bay. So his stock was pretty high. Now I feel like, you know, he's on people's minds, but I feel like you could get him late and he could end up being one of those great draft steals if he does play with Pedersen all season. Uh, the Canucks also uh, locked up Alex Edler to two more years, six million a year. So he's an interesting guy to project because he had a great season last year when he played. Like he's always injured. He missed, he only plays two thirds of the season, but when he played, he put up a 50 point pace along with all the hits and blocks and all that good stuff that he always puts up. It's actually his highest point pace since 2010, 11. So it was a real nice season for Alex Edler. Obviously helped to have Elias Pedersen in the picture. Uh, I want to ask you if you think he can do it again, but I feel like it's all just a question of if he holds the top power play versus our friend, uh, Quinton Hughes, because obviously he's coming up and he's the future, but they did sign Edler for two more years at a lot of money. So maybe they plan to keep him there. Maybe they plan to use both. I don't know what, what are you thinking for Alex Edler right now? Because, uh, yeah, it's a it's a murky situation, I guess. Right. Massive question. Does Quinn Hughes get time on the top power play within the next two years? Um, I guess, well, that's Edler's contract. I guess more importantly, this year, I see Edler's two-year contract as sort of like a torch passing contract where, you know, he'll start off being the top power play guy and then slowly over the course of the two years, uh, it'll be passed on to Quinn Hughes or he'll Quinn Hughes will join Edler on the top unit. Like there will be a point, you know, it's going to start Edler and then eventually seesaw over to become more Hughes. I don't think it's going to happen immediately though. So I think if you grab Edler in a draft, you still enjoy all that he has to offer for at least half the season. And uh, I have no idea, right? Your guess is as good as mine about whether Edler holds that role all season. I'm going, if I had to guess, and Elon, I'd like to hear your guess too. If I had to guess though, I would assume that Edler is the top power play quarterback more often than not. And not just like, you know, 43 games instead of 39 for Hughes. Uh, Like I see a good 65, 70 games of Edler quarterbacking the top unit. I think it's the kind of situation where you draft Edler and then maybe if he's doing really well, trade him because it could be like a Darlene Ristolainen situation where slowly but surely the young one overtakes that. Well, Ristolainen's not that old, but uh, Edler obviously is. By the way, uh, Adam was like, it's Quinn, not Quinton. We established in the last episode, Brian looked it up. Apparently his full name is Quinton Hughes. And that's how he was referenced on one of the sites that you were researching, right? Yes. Okay. Do you remember what it was? Uh, It might've been Elite Prospects. Okay, there you go. I had to guess. All right, let's go to the Philadelphia Flyers. They've been very busy lately. So first of all, they traded a fifth pick to the Jets to get Kevin Hayes' rights. And then they signed Kevin Hayes to a seven-year, $50 million contract. So Kevin Hayes is locked in on the Philadelphia Flyers. And they also got a couple defensemen. First, let's talk about Hayes. He had 55 points in 71 games last season. That's a 64-point pace. He had 42 and 51 on the Rangers and then was worse on Winnipeg when he was there after the trade deadline. Only 12 points in 20 games. So you know my classic question, Brian, like, which is the real Kevin Hayes? Uh, Is he like a 60-plus point guy? Should we be super excited about him? Or did he maybe overachieve on the Rangers and what he did on the Jets is more what we should expect from him. I guess the other question that goes along with this is, are we assuming he's the second line center behind Sean Couturier? Because on one hand, that makes sense. On the other hand, why did they draft uh, Nolan Patrick? Or are they just like so over already over him? Because that this must be terrible for Nolan, Nolan Patrick's like long-term fantasy value to have these two great centers ahead of him in the depth chart. There's no way they're already over Nolan Patrick. 
Like he's still going to be a very important part of Philly's future. He might just not have to be the second line center immediately. And I don't know if that means uh, maybe it's a third line center or he moves up to play the wing somewhere. Like he can play right wing also. So I wonder if that's a place where the team sees him being useful because right now uh, on right wing, they essentially have Voracek and then question marks. They have Michael Roffel, who we know isn't a top six right winger. Um, and then they have Travis Konechny as an RFA who they'll likely qualify, but Konechny himself can also play on the left side. So I could see Nolan Patrick hanging out on the second line uh, on Kevin Hayes's wing. And uh, speaking of Kevin Hayes, that was the original question, right? Do we think Kevin Hayes's production is sustainable? There was a there was a time last year where we were totally bought in on Kevin Hayes, where we said, yeah, I think it was around the 30 game mark. It's like, you know what? We've seen enough. We believe that what we've seen from Kevin Hayes is entirely sustainable. And it was right. He kept up his scoring all season long. Um, He had more minutes than he'd ever had before. He was putting more pucks towards the net than he ever did before. Uh, He had a like, better line mates than he'd ever had before. Essentially was a brand new version of Kevin Hayes that we saw last season that we hadn't gotten to see uh, before. Uh, So, you know, we were talking about Buchnevich really needing a new coach. I guess it was Kevin Hayes who needed the new coach in New York to see something in him. And while everybody was immediately shocked at his contract, because Kevin Hayes is like a boring name, right? He's not somebody that uh, has a flashy reputation or anything. Um, But when the signing was made, everyone was like, huh, what, what's going on? And then I sheepishly uh, typed and then deleted a tweet several times, but then ended up sending it out hours later being like, yeah, I kind of like this signing. Like, yes, it's a little bit of an overpay. Uh, The Flyers maybe shouldn't have given him both term and dollars, been able to reel back one year from the contract or a million dollars in his average annual value. But overall, I think Kevin Hayes can still be an effective centerman on Philly, I think there's enough forward talent for him to have uh, two at least half-decent wingers. And I like him for 55, 60 points next season. Nice. Okay, so yeah, definitely someone to keep on our radar. And maybe him being around helps someone like James Van Riemsdyk uh, bounce back after a bit of a down year. So yeah, we'll talk about all of these Philly guys in our almanac. Brian, have we mentioned, by the way, we don't have any advertisements this episode, but we are working hard on our planning to record our second annual NHL Audio Almanac in a couple months now at the end of August and we're going to just sit down we're going to take a week off of work we're going you know real vacation time and we're going to you know prep and then record a 31 chapter audiobook where we'll break down every single fantasy relevant player on every single NHL team we'll have like discussions like this and come up with a projection for each player by the end of it so that's going to be a lot of fun we'd love for you to get on board on our pre-sale offer uh, so you can go to keepingcarlson.com/almanac for that and we're trying to bat around some ideas of ways to maybe make it even more appealing to be a pre-sale orderer uh i guess we're not ready to uh announce it yet because we don't know but actually if you're in the facebook group i think i'm going to make a facebook post sometime in the near future like asking you guys like would you like this as a pre-sale sort of perk uh so but also you could tweet at us or message us like at keeping carlson let us know what you think would be a good pre-sale perk because we'd love to get you in there early just so we're not like nervous while we're recording it is anyone actually going to buy this thing but okay back to kevin hayes yeah it'll be really fun to talk about him and all these other philly guys as we try to break down the fantasy impact of him arriving just like we did last year with JVR arriving, we have another piece coming in. Of course, now we have Wayne Simmons coming out. So yeah, it's a whole new look in Philly. And it's a really whole new look on their defense, right? Because they made a couple of other moves. First, they traded Radko Gudas 
for Matt Niskanen. So that's kind of interesting. And then they also acquired Justin Braun from the Sharks for a couple of picks. Uh, yeah, so Brian, do you see this as an upgrade or a downgrade for any of these guys' fantasy values, including, I guess, Carter Hart, who now, you know, Philly's acquired a couple defensemen but shipped out Radko Gudas. I don't know if this is, like, better for Philly or worse for them. I know a lot of people on Twitter are saying Philly is being really dumb lately and they don't like, like, any of these moves. So maybe that's not great for Carter Hart overall. I like the idea that they're trying to shore up the defense. Of course, it's a big difference between trying and actually doing it. So, yeah, any words on Niskanen, Gudas, Justin Brown, or Carter Hart to finish off our Philly talk? Niskanen Gudas seems like a wash. Either guy could do what they occasionally do, which is catch fire because they have this sort of uh, big presence and can occasionally go on scoring runs. I, I really don't see that trade being anything meaningful for either team. Personally, I'd rather have Gudas, but it's not a huge deal um, for this year. And for Justin Braun, uh, there are few defensemen out there who have had a demonstrably worse effect on their teams on ice performance than Justin Braun. So in, in Philly seems to see him as somebody who can handle a top four assignment. And I see him uh, a bottom pairing guy at best. So I would uh, not endorse that move and would not think it helps Carter Hart a whole lot, unless the Flyers think, you know, they're going to create a whole lot of internal competition for their bottom four D spots. And Justin Braun is going to be someone who helps, push other guys to be better or get put I don't know like these these are the things that hockey, that I imagine hockey teams believe and I think they are true to some extent but uh even that sort of competition isn't going to help Justin Brown contribute a whole lot to the team's defense Okay, yeah. Either way, like Carter Hart obviously is a blue chip guy that's probably going to be valuable. And Philly has lots of good young players to help make up for even if they make a couple odd moves. I think they should be challenging for the playoffs, if not next year, then very soon. I mean, the plan is next year, right? They didn't sign Kevin Hayes to not challenge for the playoffs. It'll be fun to see how it all shakes out. Uh, one more trade, uh, not too much of an impact here. Carolina acquired Patrick Marlowe along with a conditional first round pick and a seventh round pick from the Leafs for a sixth round pick. Basically, it's like if you take Marlowe, we'll also give you a pick. And that's what happens. The Leafs were able to dump Marlowe contract to Carolina. No point even talking about the impact on Carolina because I've been hearing that maybe they're going to even buy him out. He might not even play on Carolina next season. Maybe he goes back to San Jose. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, On the Leafs, I guess the big thing here is Marlowe's out. Now they had some money. It looks like they've locked up I don't know if it's official or not. I said they're reportedly close to signing Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen to three and four year contracts for around three, three and a half million for each of them. So it looks like those two guys are staying. We'll find out what happens with Mitch Marner. But assuming he stays, I guess this is good news for Kapanen and Janssen, right? Because they show that they could be like around 50 point guys with the the roles they got last year. And they're both young players stepping up. And if they're making, uh, I don't know, they're making decent middle six money, but the Leafs have good players for them to play with. So I feel like there's no reason to not expect them to continue to be at least 50 point guys. And then maybe the ceiling's higher. Like Janssen got on that top power play and was playing with Austin Matthews at times at the end of the last season. So if that continues for a whole season, then maybe he's more of like a 60 point guy when it's all said and done. Of course, being on the power play would help Janssen or Kapanen's value go even higher. Uh, for now, I think the best we'll do is assume that they continue to be complementary players in Toronto's top six. And that's not to be any disservice to them. I think Janssen and Kapanen have both shown some offensive upside beyond what they've uh, like the shown that there is upside for more production just by themselves, right. in their own talents than just being hangers on in a top six. So I'm excited to see if they can use that to help increase their point totals. Uh, they're still both young, right? Kapanen's 22, Janssen's 24. I'm glad they're both staying in Toronto. It seems like a good spot. 
to at least find out if they have that upside, because even if they don't, uh, their floors are not that low for as long as they're hanging out in the top six, which it very much seems like they will. So I like them both to be uh, 50, 55 point players, the sorts of guys that you draft towards the end where you're looking for somebody who is a, a reliable piece for your team, but who has upside to, to really show something new. Yeah, I think that they're both really solid guys to grab at, an end of, at the end of a draft, if you can, like you're saying. So good call for sure. And yeah, now they've got all this Marlowe ice time to fill. So that's more time for Captain Janssen to maybe play. Uh, so let's move on to a couple signings to end this emergency episode. Of course, the big signing is our podcast namesake, Eric Carlson, decided to stick with the San Jose Sharks. So as you can see, I'm still wearing my Sharks hat. And I guess I'm going to be doing it now for the foreseeable future, eight years 11 million a year. Some people were saying, oh, maybe, you know, these injuries have cost him a couple, you know, million per year because teams are going to be worried. Sharks weren't worried. They gave him top dollar and top term. And I mean, why not? While he was healthy, get 45 points in 53 games last season. That's a 70 point pace. And also, if you remember, he started with almost no points in his first few games. So, you know, his pace was even higher once he sort of figured out how to play in San Jose or whatever happened to get him back on track. I feel like, I guess the big question is his injury situation. Like he had that groin injury, cost him most of the second half of the season. Brian, are you, and then he, now he had surgery in the off season. Brian, are you worried about the groin injury and surgery like or his like ankle injury? I think it was before it's ankle, right? Yeah, there was an ankle thing. I, I'm not so worried. I'm really not. He was able to have a 70 point pace last year. Well, I think he was playing hurt for a bunch of it. So I, I'm really like, I know he, he tape, he tapered off in his production a lot towards the end of the season, but obviously I still have every faith in the world in Eric Carlson. I think the sharks will uh, at least enjoy the first half of the contracts that they've signed him to. I know there are health concerns, but I, honestly, I think you can use that to your benefit in fantasy and not buy in and, and be so scared away as everyone else is. I, I feel like there was a lot of talk in the off season and last year about how his health is just waning and in rough shape. And like, you know, he's never going to have the same speed he once did the same skating he once did. And while there might be a kernel of truth to that, it seemed very chicken little. Like this guy is falling on Eric Carlson, where I just don't believe that he, this is going to be like a, a really uh, career shifting circumstance for him. So I'm still into him as a 70 point player, at least And I'm really excited that he's going to uh, be sticking around San Jose and we don't have to figure out uh, who he's going to play with, what sort of timeshare there's going to be on the power play. We have a blueprint, a template for what Eric Carlson looks like in San Jose, and it's still good enough to rank him uh, as a, a candidate to be your top defensive scorer in the NHL. Yeah, like, again, it's kind of like you're saying all the stuff that's great about him and saying you like him to stick around 70 points. Like, again, like, he was much better. He had 33 points in his final 32 games with the Sharks. So this guy still has upside to be a point-per-game player. And I know with maybe some of my Carlson love is bleeding through. We also saw in the playoffs he was getting points all the time. Like, we'll obviously see how things shake out with all of San Jose's free agents and all of that. But, yeah, there's tons of upside. And I love what you're saying, Brian. If people are going to be afraid of him for potential injury concerns, that means you could get him a little later, maybe get him at the end of the first round, maybe even in the middle of the second round of a fantasy draft where defensemen you know are harder to get than forwards that value over replacement can make eric carlson carlson super super valuable and it might be the one year in the next few where you could get him a little later than you usually can 
Yeah, I'm also going to toss in that it, at five on five, for anyone like needing more data to to prove that he's going to be okay. And I know like maybe he had some injuries in the postseason that he's going to need time to heal from, and that's the newest thing you're going to worry about. Well, but he had surgery. Season, he had surgery in the offseason. Yeah. That's what you worry yeah. about. Yeah, sorry. But last season in San Jose, um, before all this happened, and I imagine he's going to get back up to roughly this speed, he had the best uh, shot generation numbers uh, that he's seen in years. Uh, He was averaging almost 19 shot attempts per 60 minutes, which is the second highest in his career and the highest since the lockout shortened season back in 2012-2013. He also had uh, one of his best expected goals rates uh, personally, his best shot on goal rates, like everything looks so good. And then you look at the variance numbers that, you know, will drive a drive a player scoring unsustainably higher, unsustainably low. And they were all low. His IPP was 42% compared with being up at 60% the previous three years in Ottawa. Although there is some attention that needs to be paid to how the Ottawa offense worked versus how the San Jose offense worked and that Ottawa didn't score unless Carlson was in it while San Jose has a few other tools on the ice with Carlson to help them get goals and his shooting percentage at five on five uh less than one percent in his career he's generally been a seven eight percent shooter so you can count on more goals scoring from Eric Carlson next year too so you're right Elon when I said at least I said 70 points but I said at least 70 like Subban this is a starting point Carlson could be still a point per game defenseman I am going ahead and making the assumption that this offseason surgery and injury situation doesn't significantly hamper him in any way he hasn't been hampered before uh, and I guess that is a bit of an assumption, but I'm willing to make it. I'm willing to give Carlson the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Also, I guess you have to kind of give the Sharks a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Like, do they sign a guy to an eight-year contract if they don't have some assurances from his doctors or whatever that this surgery is going to make him perfectly fine? And, you know, it's not as if he had the same injury. Like, this was a brand new injury, this groin injury. So it's not, a, you know, you can't just call the guy injury prone. Maybe you can. I don't know. But it's like it's a different injury. So to me, it's like it's a whole new thing. And maybe it could just be a one off. And maybe he's totally fine. Uh, A couple more signings to close out the show. Uh, The next biggest one is clearly Jeff Skinner, who re-ups with the Sabres. Eight years, nine million a year. Big money. But hey, that's what you have to pay to get a guy who just scored 40 goals like he did last year. uh, 63 points overall. That tied a career high that he actually said two years previous earlier with the Canes. In the middle of that, he had a down year with the Carolina Hurricanes, only 49 points. And then he got traded to Buffalo. And it obviously worked out really well for him. There was that stretch at the start of the where he got bumped from the top line but that didn't last and by the end he was making sweet music with Eichel and in the future he'll be with Eichel and Darlene like uh, Sam Reinhart like the future does look pretty bright for Jeff Skinner at this point like what do you think Brian do you think he's gonna stay a 35 40 goal like 60 65 maybe higher point guy is there room for like higher than 65 points as Darlene matures into the next Eric Carlson like how high is the ceiling on Jeff Skinner and also maybe is he overrated now that he's making so much money like I'm, I'm interested to see if you're gonna go like higher or lower than what he did last year for Jeff Skinner you're also trying to uh, subtly and subconsciously and subliminally get me to agree that Darlene is the next Eric Carlson, which I know you're sold on and I'm excited for the possibility. I'm not there yet. Uh, but Jeff Skinner uh, for his part is looking pretty good. Like I, I looked at his goal scoring last year, 40 goals. It's not an easy thing to make look sustainable. Um, but for Jeff Skinner, his five on five scoring sure looks sustainable. Um, he did have what like the highest five on five shooting percentage of his career, but not by a long shot. Right. And he had a couple of years where he was really dry in Carolina and just could not buy a goal no matter how many shots he took. But he's been in like the 
12, 13% range before. So um, what he had this year, which was 15% all situations, was not a huge leap and not something that I'm expecting to regress heavily. And I can also say that on the power play, his numbers looked pretty sustainable too. And I mentioned this on our PDO cast collabo episode, but Jeff Skinner only picked up 16 power play points last season. When you're playing on a top power play and you're a sharpshooter, uh, and the power play is staffed with qualified personnel like Jack Eichel and a developing Rasmus Dahlin. I expect you to get more than 16 power play points. So yeah, Jeff Skinner had 63 points in 82 games last season. I think he can beat that uh, next year. Like I'm, I'm going to start him at 65 and then I'll think about how much higher he can go. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who aren't buying in that this is sustainable, but consider me not amongst that group. Yeah, and to be fair, like Adam is pointing out in the chat room, he was actually on pace for 50-plus goals before a terrible fall-off. So I guess you could look at that either way. You could say this guy was a point-per-game player uh, before the end of the season. Maybe you just write off the end of that season as just weird stuff. Or you could say, like, I'm concerned about the end of the season, like I personally am about Elias Lindholm in Calgary. So I guess it depends which way you want to look at it. But clearly we saw that Jeff Skinner did show the potential to be like a 50-goal, like, point-per-game guy. Obviously, that would be a really big thing to expect for next season is to have to keep it up a whole season long. But it is possible. It's also possible that maybe we should be looking into what happened at the end of the year. I'll also throw in a fun little note for anybody in face-offs leagues. Uh, last year, he took he won 157 face-offs, his career high. Uh, well, actually, in his first couple of years, he was taken like 60 a year. But since then, 10 to 20 in Carolina. So uh, he has some residual value there. Uh, if your league is a face-offs league, you might want Jeff Skinner that much more. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, let's end the show. Normally, I wouldn't even bring up the signing of a guy who put up a 39-point pace as a forward. But, Brian, just for you, because I know how much you love him, let's talk about how the New York Islanders have locked up Jordan Eberle for five more years, five and a half million a year. I guess it's kind of a bargain. By the way, they also signed Brock Nelson earlier. I'm not sure if he brought that up. So the Islanders starting to lock in a couple of guys. But yeah, Eberle, such a big disappointment last year. 39-point pace overall. But he did have a 60-point pace the year before that. So, like, which is the real Jordan Eberle? Probably somewhere in the middle it probably depends who he's playing with obviously he's better if he's playing with Matt Barzal which he wasn't for a lot of the year but then he was at the end uh so yeah what do you think about Jordan Everly for next year is he someone on your radar for drafts or is he like maybe you could find him in free agency if things are looking good he's someone that you probably don't need to go reach for in a draft a lot of it is going to depend on yeah who his line mates are because you're with Matt Barzal in Long Island or I don't even know who you're with last season we also got really excited that he was going to spend more time on the power play, which happened for a bunch of the season. Unfortunately, he had the worst power play point rates of his career. I'm not sure that it was entirely his fault, though. So, uh, like, there was some variance involved in in why that was. So there's reason to, like, I don't think he's a 39-point player. I think he can be a 50-55 point player. If he's given perfect deployment, I think he can be a 60-point player, but I'm not counting on perfect deployment for him. Okay, that's fair. So yeah, he's probably a guy you could grab with your last pick and hope for the best. Like maybe a couple of the other guys we've talked about on this episode, I, I would take like JT Miller above Jordan Everly. Do you agree with that? I, I don't know. Like I'm trying to decide where to place Jordan Everly. Seems like a really good comparable. Yeah, but Miller, I like his upside playing with Pedersen like a lot higher. But and yeah, what but- about if you want to be on the, the real bleeding edge of NHL news, Elon? We we have word that in the next couple of days, William Carlson is going to be signing a new contract. Did you want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, I guess the thing, we've already talked about it a bit on Vegas, like with Nikita Gusev coming in, I feel like that's a big bomb uh, that's going to drop on the Vegas top six and someone might get knocked off 
It could be William Carlson. It could be Riley Smith. Like, who knows? So he could end up not being as good in fantasy as he was last year. But I think last year was more realistic to what we can expect from him as opposed to a couple of years ago when he was a 40-goal guy. I think he had, like, 26 goals last year. I haven't prepped him or anything. He ended up with, like, around 55 points. And Wow, so good. Goals. 24 goals, 56 points. Yeah, so do you see that as sustainable, what William Carlson did last season, if he were to stay in the same role in the lineup? Yeah, I still think he might have shot like a little overly successfully. So 24 goals might have been a little rich, but he also wasn't picking up as many assists as I would have expected. And that's because of Jonathan Marcheseau's dry spells throughout the year, which I won't expect to happen again. So I I don't see Carlson being bumped by Gusev. I think they like uh, William Carlson is being a center inside their top six. I wanted to call them their top line center, but this is a team that also has Paul Stasny and which line is the top line. But I think they like William Carlson uh, centering one of their top two lines. So I think his deployment is going to hold. And I think uh, 55, 60 points is a good neighborhood to expect him in. So that, of course, this signing doesn't change anything about his outlook, at least in my mind. Yeah, I guess it's a good point. As a center, he doesn't have as much to worry about with Nikita Gusev coming in. So there you go. You got a 55-point guy. Pretty reliable just because of that deployment. You say maybe he had a high shooting percentage, but, you know, he had a much higher shooting percentage than the year before. So maybe he could end up landing somewhere in the middle. We don't know 100%. Uh, but yeah. I guess that's our episode, Brian. We've cleared the slate. We've we've gotten ourselves right up to date with everything going on as of now, which is perfect. Oh, wait. Obviously, we haven't because we haven't talked about the draft that happened. But lucky for you, the listeners, we are going to be getting the great prospect expert, Cam Robinson, to come on the show and talk about the draft and all the players that got drafted. And I'm going to bug him about who's going to get points next season. And he's going to be like, oh, this guy's not even going to be in the NHL for a couple of years. I'm like, ah, boring. And then he'll be like, no, this guy's going to be really good. It'll be a whole fun conversation. So we're really excited to talk to cam that should be recorded either tomorrow or we'll let you know but the plan is for that episode to come out soon uh and so yeah and then after that next episode you'll hear from us will be after july 1st when we discuss all of the exciting free agent signings so a lot of fun keeping carlson episodes coming brian i'm so excited that we're at this fun part of the season Finally, right? It's a it's a bit of a dead zone between the start of the playoffs and the free agency period. But we're like, we're there. We're on the doorstep of stuff happening again. This is probably the most exciting time of the offseason. Stick with us all through it to hear all about uh, all of the fantasy impacts and angles of what is going to happen over the next two, three weeks. And uh, we're all very thirsty for news. And we're going to dig in with all that we've got. Yeah, I guess the thing is, like, everyone listening now probably will stick with us because they're listening in, like, the middle of dead time just as things are about to start. So tell your friends or I don't know. Hopefully we'll figure out a way for people to come join us for this ride. I had a really fun time talking to you about all this stuff today, Brian. I feel like this got me feeling back like old times during the season when we have things happening, we get to discuss it. Uh, so thanks again for everyone listening. Uh, like I mentioned, we have our pre-sale open for our almanac we might raise the price later we might add some good perks uh so check it out keepingcarlson.com slash almanac just get in on it and feel good that you're gonna get it as soon as it's out you'll be able also to listen live as we record the episode that's one guaranteed perk you'll get by ordering early also we still have our program going if you want to join our patron only facebook group and get access to our patron cast we're probably going to record a patron cast sooner after july 1st than the regular episode will drop so if you want to hear our early takes on the free agent signings and you will want to be a patron for that so it's keepingcarlson.com slash patron uh just ignore all the dollar amounts the five dollars a month that we normally uh charge to give patron perks we say any amount of money over the summer and we'll give you all of the perks so you can check that out keeping carlson.com slash patron including a discount on the aforementioned almanac uh this is probably very boring so why don't we cue the outro music oh you can also follow us on twitter at keeping carlson and brian why don't you read us the credits 
All right. This episode of the Keeman Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and Roto World. Yeah. Good job, as always, Brian. And uh, yeah, this is our second podcast recording in the span of two and a half hours. So you must be very tired. So I'm going to let you go to bed. I was just going to ask if you want to do another. Okay. Well, we got to get invited to another show. Okay. Work on it. Let me know. I'll be up for another 20 minutes. Okay. Sounds good. And what should we do until then? Uh, You should probably keep on keeping Carl's son.